Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast. Here is part two of our chat about Metallica's Injustice for All. Anyway, let's go on to Shortest Straw. Now, this one's been played 97 times live. Jesus fucking Christ. (laughs) You're blowing me away here, man. (laughs) Yes, I was surprised when I seen these things, too. But anyway, uh, yeah, I'm surprised this one wasn't played live more. It's another one I really like. But I guess I don't know how long is this one. This was like close to seven minutes. I guess they're mostly close to seven yeah. minutes. Yeah. But what do you think of do you like shortest straw? I I I love shortest straw. I think and I, I'm gonna compare it to something. It has the I think it has one of the the finest metal riffs of that time, which is the intro riff. Like you're probably playing it in your head right now, like everyone else is. And if you don't know it, go play it and uh it'll get stuck in your head you know it i think it's one of the songs that maybe gets a little bit lost um and i don't know if that's because of the placing of the song uh in the uh in the track order but um you know it 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 really is a super super catchy song and in much the same way that intro riff reminds me of the the catchiness of uh of um seek and destroy just in a different context it's darker it's heavier but it has that sort of swagger to it you know it gets stuck in your head Uh, as soon as you hear it you know it um the same can't be said for every song on justice um but that song really has a a super catchy intro riff um and you know lyrically it's a a really a really cool song because i think it, it has to do with like all the um the uh, the World War II times in the USA and all the blacklisting of people who were thought to be communists. Um, mm-hmm. So again, Metallica is showing a bit of their their uh, their political side with this one. I don't think they were making any sort of political statement with it. I think they were just um, you know historically um, talking about you know the the blacklisting and those times, um, the propaganda that happened at those time at that time. Um, and I think the two together create a really kind of cool dichotomy. The the, the music on that and the the uh, the lyrical approach um, fit together really well. And it's it's I think it's the shortest song. At, like you said, I think it was just under. Seven no, I think minutes. the next one is the shortest one. Oh, is it? Okay. Harvester I, of Sorrow, I believe, is it? or in Dire's Eve is pretty short too. I guess. Yeah, I, it's I still six and a half minutes. Uh, shortest straw yeah in my head it was always the shortest song because it i think it went by it goes by pretty quickly maybe that's because of the speed it's not like harvester of sorrow is really we're going to talk about it but it's a really kind of drawn out song and so is freight ends of sanity and so you know they're you know they just feel longer and to live is to die they just feel feel much longer but shortest straw it kind of gets in and gets out gets its point across pretty quickly Yes, and speaking in the harvest or yeah, harvester of sorrow is actually the first single single from this album. I don't even remember like back then. I would just buy the album. I didn't really pay attention to what <laughs> what single came out. I guess yeah, but yeah. so I'm kind of surprised that I guess I'm not surprised that it's a single. I don't know because it is only it's five, but still it's almost six minutes still, which is a pretty long single. But it's not like they're on the radio or anything back then. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But they've played Harvester of Sorrow 827 times. Well, that's much more than short of straw. Wow. 
And uh, I like this song. Well, again, like I say, I like all the songs, but I like the song too. Now, according now, I'm taking my, the song subject matter refers to a man who descends into madness, taking out his anger on his family. Yeah. Um, this is I got that off Wikipedia, so I'm hoping whoever wrote that knows what they're talking about. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's uh it, again, it's really bleak, right? Lyrically yes. and musically. Um, it's probably the song. It's the first song I ever learned on guitar. Mm. Um, and it wasn't an easy song to learn. I remember learning anything off justice is not easy. Um, and I, and I I don't know if you know this, but did you ever have the tablature book for justice to play on guitar? I if think you, I did. I think I did. Yes. So if you look it up, it's notoriously the worst put together tab book <laughs> in the history of tab books. Like okay. <laughs> pretty much wrong on everything. And people wondered why they couldn't play the riffs correctly or didn't sound the same. And it's because it just wasn't tabbed out right. And okay. uh yeah, yeah, I've watched quite a few YouTube videos about it, and it's kind of funny to think that I've wasted, you know, many, many months trying to play these songs, and it was just all for naught, because I was being fed the wrong, uh, <laughs> the wrong information, information to be able to, to play them correctly. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know, I, I think the song is heavy in much the same way, like Sad But True is heavy. Yes. Like, uh, there's a. I'm making all these correlations here, but I. You know, to me, it has a bit of a. Oh, I don't want to say Sabbath because people are going to call me out on that, but it has. <laughs> it has a maybe Sabbath. It just has this. That, the riffs on it are, heavy as fuck. They're slower, they're more thought out. They're more plodding. And to me, it has a, a bit of an older school sound to it. I don't know. Did you ever take it that way? Uh, yes, it is. Like, yeah. Did you mention said, but I don't know. Yeah, or, sad but true. On yeah, the yeah, yeah. Yes, it is very reminiscent of what that would be on the next album. Yes. Yeah. Like, it's yeah, just, I it's not it's, as, you know, most of the songs aren't as, I mean, short straw is pretty fast and, Dyer's Eve, of course, is fast, but they did get a little more slower, but it's still still heavy as anything. Yes. Like I would call it maybe Metallica's first doom metal song. If we mm -hmm, were to yeah. pick a doom metal song for Metallica. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, okay, of course we have there's um sorry, for whom the bell tolls is pretty doomy in its own regard, but you mm -hmm. know, uh I don't know, just something about it. It's just, uh, there's a lot of kind of minimalist ideas, um, ideas that uh, that I hear in bands like Candlemass and, you know, some of the new wave of British heavy metal bands that Metallica were listening to, um, you know, stuff like Budgie, stuff like... Uh, um, I don't know if Trouble was a new wave of British heavy metal band, but I hear a lot of similarities to Trouble and Harvester. Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, it's a very trebly song. I mm -hmm. think this is the one song on the album where they dialed up the treble. Um, and 
it, it has a squeaky squeaking to it like uh it's a it's a bit off-putting and i don't know if that was intentional or not where the rest of the album is very very bottom heavy there's a squeakiness to harvester or sorrow so if anybody who's listening to this go back and listen to that and tell me if you hear that too because uh it always kind of graded on me um not that i didn't like the song but yeah there's just a, 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 a bit of a different tone on that song i don't know if that's because it was the first single but yeah i have no idea why they would even pick that as the first single but yeah, it's i a really, don't really know it's a really bizarre song to pick as a single because i think i don't think it's very I don't think it's the most commercially relevant song on the album. Yeah. Well, I guess it's hard. Like you're not going to put justice. Of course it's 10 minutes. Yeah. No, <laughs> like black like, is pretty heavy for the, I don't know, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't matter. You know what? That's it's funny. You mentioned black and because in, in hindsight, in retrospect, I think black and would have been the perfect single for single yes. album. Like yeah. I, I really think they made a mistake there, but I think you're right. I think it was maybe too heavy. <laughs> But back, I don't know, back then, did it really matter what was the first single for a group that wasn't going to be on the radio anyway? I don't know. That's it, true. That's a really good like, point. Yeah. And they didn't have any videos yet until one. So it's not like, yeah. you know, the video came out because I'm assuming, I don't know when one came out, but I'm assuming it came out after the album came out, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I don't think it's like now where groups have three videos out before the album even comes out. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was different back though. then. I think you're right. Yeah. I think it was much different the way they pick singles back then for especially for these types yes. of bands that weren't going to get MTV or radio play anyways. Yes. And then we got the frayed ends of sanity. Oh boy. And we got our Wizard of Oz singing here, the OEO stuff. <laughs> what do you think of that? What did you think of that intro when you first heard I, it? I like it. I read that it was supposed I don't know if it's supposed to be funny or not. I guess it's funny, but I don't know. I liked it. <laughs> yeah, I did too. I think it's, I think it was a bit different for them to do something like that, but I think it mm -hmm. works well. And it, uh, Well, for a bleak, like you're saying, it's a whole bleak album. Well, there's a few moments of non-bleakness, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, uh, a sound sample of the winky chant from wizard of oz isn't really bleak but <laughs> <laughs> but the song is fucking bleak as fuck um yes. once we get past that you know it's uh you know i did some research and i i didn't realize oh how many times was this one played live do you have a guess well <laughs> i i've read that this one i i i know it's a fan favorite but I don't think it's been played a lot because I don't think the band saw it that way. But I do know, like I've seen some polls that mm -hmm. it, it actually is one of the songs that fans request the most to be played live. Well, I guess um, they don't care about their fans because it's only been played live, ugh, played live 12 times. 12 fucking times. <laughs> yeah. Maybe this is what I was reading. Maybe there's been petitions because it's been played so little. Like, why the fuck don't you guys play this more? Because even like uh, the tour, I'm looking at that, the set list from the tour that I seen, and it's not on there. They didn't even play it like for that tour either, at least for the two shows that I looked at. Oh, In okay. Ontario, they didn't play it either night. So, but it's eight Crazy. minutes again, and I guess yeah, it all, you know, they had a whole bunch of other songs to play too. I guess so. I guess that didn't make the cut. 
Yeah. Yeah. Actually, there's a, uh, just a kind of a side note. There's a, I, I love the, um, you know, the band Six Feet Under? Yes. Which is Chris Barnes, original singer from Cannibal Corpse, but they cover Right Ends of Sanity on their Grave, Graveyard Classics 3 album, oh. which is the album where they cover all these songs and it's fucking awesome. Like if you ever want to hear uh, Freight Ends of Sanity done old school death metal style, they, mm. uh, they do a really good job at it. Also another quick uh, kind of interesting note about the Freight Ends of Sanity is that the band actually took that title, that name and used it as their stage name when they did a private gig at the Marquee um, back in like 1990 um, during the, uh, I think the second leg of the justice tour mm -hmm. so kind of interesting. And I think they've used it after that too. So I think, and lyrically um, I'm not sure I've never read this, but doesn't it seem to kind of tie into um, um, a welcome home sanitarium a bit in thematically. Yes. Talking yes. About? Yeah. Mm. Cause I mean, when you're afraid of sanity, you're you're going crazy, right? Or you're at your wit's end. And... Yes, I didn't see much about what the lyrics meant for this song, but yes, you make a good point that it is similar to that. Yeah, lyrically. Did you like? You said you liked the song, though. You were. Yeah, I like the song. Like, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know why, and it's another song. I don't know why they would only not play it live so much. Maybe they didn't want to have to do the OEO thing. Yeah, that might have been uh, but, uh, the reason why. I don't have much written down about this song, but yeah, again, it's, yeah, I like the song too, though. I love, uh, to me, it, it it has these kind of cool moments where the song actually sounds kind of fun. Like it's bleak, but then there's moments where, I don't know if it's the phrasing of the song or whatever, but the where it seemed to come out of out of the bleakness a little bit. And like, Kind of in a very derisive way but like the line so grim so true so real <laughs> it it uh it has this uplifting kind of um i don't know moment to it and uh i i really like that about that song you know it, it, i think it makes i think what it does well is that it it puts you into the subject matter in a really cool way because the song twists and turns and vexes in so many different ways. There's so many different, um, again, I'm going to say twists to the song that it almost makes you feel like you're going crazy. Like listening to the song, you're like, this is probably the song somebody going crazy would hear in their head. You know, it, uh, it, it, uh, it really kind of weaves this cool um, psychosis I would say into the into the music, and uh, you know the chants are cool, and the little the hype, hell, time, haze, terror, tension, all these little kind of word word plays that James uses in the song really kind of add to the song. I think it's unique vocally, uh, yes. especially because he's doing these these little phrasings that he doesn't normally do. These one word phrasings here and there, and I really love that about the song. Now, the next one is the instrumental, To Live is to Die. And this is almost 10 minutes long. <laughs> and this definitely has Cliff Burton's... Uh, well, actually, Cliff Burton is given writing credit on this song because he wrote yeah. some of the bass lines before mm -hmm. passing. 
or probably when they're on their last tour. And it has some spoken word parts in this that were taken. Well, some were taken from a movie Excalibur and some from a, a novel by an American writer, Sam or Stephen Donaldson, uh, Lord Fowles Bane. But some of it was also written by Cliff Burton that James spoke. And uh, now this one, well, what do you do you like? Like, because this is similar to the instrumentals that we had on Ride the Lightning and Master of Puppets, which were also heavy Cliff ideas, I think. <laughs> I think yeah. Cliff was more into this long instrumental stuff than maybe the rest of the band was. I don't know. Yeah, I think, I think it's a beautiful song. If I, yeah. I'm going to say it, it, we're talking about the bleakness of this album, and not that bleak things can't be beautiful, but I think this song kind of pulls itself out of that bleakness uh, that permeates Justice for All, and actually um, conveys a beauty um, that is not found anywhere else in the album. And in such a way that like it can really, if you listen to the song and you're in a certain state of mind, I don't know, maybe you have some depression, maybe you broke up with your girlfriend, maybe you, you know, lost someone you love and, and that song comes on. I think there people can really, it can bring out in a, some emotions in people that might be vulnerable. I think it's a very vulnerable song. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it allows people to be vulnerable. And I think they did that. I've never read this anywhere. This has just always been my thought on the song. I think they did that intentionally to kind of bring their vulnerability through about losing Cliff. And, yes. and you know, I think it does a really awesome job at honoring Cliff, um, you know, putting his touch in it, like you said, with his bass and some of those spoken lines, and then also honoring him. It's a, almost like a the song that would have been played had it existed at cliff's funeral you yeah. know i think it's uh yes it's um a, a very fitting ending to that super talented man and that um you know uh tragic uh tragic loss of life um but yes, and then, sorry go ahead i was also going to say it's beautiful but lyrically it's not necessarily beautiful musically it's beautiful but i believe it the song is actually about how people lie still and cheat their way through life and you know um seemingly like no cares for who gets hurt um Mm -hmm. you know i think the first two lines as you mentioned are from that poem and then the last two lines were written by cliff um and you have that one line that was written by Cliff, which is all this, I cannot bear to witness any longer. Cannot the kingdom of salvation take me home. And to me that it's such a sad fucking line. Like, I don't even know what it means, but it's like when it's, when you hear that in the context of the music, it's like, what, what was he trying to convey? Mm -hmm. Like, did he have some, did he have, was there some, something we didn't know about cliff you know some underlying i don't want to say depression but under some underlying um uh you know deepness to him because it is a really deep line Mm -hmm. and i think i wonder if that maybe why this is well i mean they like their instrumentals back then anyway 
that they probably couldn't come up with lyrics to really tribute Cliff, or they probably didn't want to put the pressure on themselves for that. So that's why it is an instrumental using the yeah. few lines there. That, and this might be another reason why the song hasn't been played live very much because maybe they can't play it live because they do know it's a lot about Clef or yeah. done yeah. by Clef. Yeah, and I know that. Been, oh, go ahead. It's only been played live once. Wow. In its entirety. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But it doesn't, I didn't see anything where it said it was, but yeah, they could have been, they could have played parts of it other times, but it was 2011 in San Francisco, which is where they're from. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the, yeah, that's the only time they've ever played it live, I guess, in its entirety. Yes. I think, I think one of the reasons might be, and I'm not, I'm obviously, I'm not questioning Metallica's talent, but um, I think it's a pretty complex song. Like that, that opening acoustic intro mm-hmm. um, is a classically, it's a, it's a piece of classical, classical guitar written piece. Yeah. Um, and it's actually really super difficult to play. Uh, I remember that was one of the, when I started learning to play the songs on Justice, that was one of the ones I became obsessed with playing and it took me months to learn it. And I've totally forgotten it now, but I remember how proud I was to, to actually learn to play that song after months because I love that intro riff. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, overall, I think it's an interpretation of the musical growth of Metallica um and with cliff burton um and i think it honors that kind of that interpretation uh really well because uh you know the song starts off really slow but then comes in a really heavy bass it has some like earlier metallica type riffs you know from like um i hear think listening to it just yesterday i was hearing stuff from ride the lightning and uh you know and then i all and then it progresses into some riffs that you might have heard on master of puppets and it's mm-hmm. all these all these riffs that are seemingly sound old school in this one song but old school in a way that cliff was involved with all these albums and i think it, it was a nice way to tie up the cliff era metallica um the cliff era metallica into one song and uh, I also look at it that way. Like I think, I think it just sums up everything perfectly that Cliff ever done with the band and the progression of the band with Cliff in that one song. Yes. And then we finish with Dyer's Eve, which reminds me of like you know it kind of finishes the album off just like Damaging finished off Master. Yeah. It's like a really fast one. And supposedly it's about its lyrical rant from James Hetfield to his parents. And of course, me as a parent, I could definitely go that line, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. <laughs> I think kids. that's I think it's a song that um yeah, like you mentioned, it it uh it's a, a lot of piss and venom towards his parents at the time who yes. were what was their religion? They were um the religion was uh the, what's the religion where you they don't believe in taking medications um, uh i don't mormon. know mormon is it mormon okay yeah so he was brought up mormon and that's how his mother died because she had cancer and they 
she wouldn't take any medication. So he watched his mother die horrifically. And he had a lot of pent up anger, not only at his parents for, you know, um, not for just for her dying, but for the way he was raised. And I think he was raised in a really sheltered in a sheltered way and it comes across in the song quite a bit because he he talks about you know not being free and he just wants to be free and i heard james also mention recently that that song was it's not a it's not a vicious attack on his parents well at the time it was it was written it wasn't a vicious attack at his parents at that time it was written it was written as an attack on his childhood with his parents so he obviously ended up having a, a wonderful relationship with his father um who passed away not long ago and his dad was very supportive of metallica and and went on tour with them all the time and they you know i think a lot of water under the bridge there but yes. yeah i think he had a lot of uh a lot of issues he needed to to get out and i also agree with you that there's a kind of a metallica always a for the, the 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 albums you mentioned, they always seem to end the album this way, right? Like it's always yeah. this just really insane, in-your-face ending to an album. Yes, and this song and my thing live thing was only been played thirty-five times live. <laughs> wow! So does that got, surprise you? Yes, it does because it's the short. If this is the shortest song on the album, it's just a little over five minutes. So, and I would yes. And I would say as a metal band and a band who's honed their chops with speed, this is up to that point. This was, and I think even up to now, I think it's Metallica's most aggressive and angry song. Like it just, mm -hmm. it's just fuck. I, I, I feel like it's a song that would, had they played it live more, would really amp the audience up tenfold. Like you throw that in there and like, you can sing along with it and uh, the words are easily recognizable and it's just super vicious song. And uh, you know, um, maybe it's a bit one dimensional and maybe that's why they don't like playing it, but mm -hmm. it has a, a really cool mood, a singular mood, you know, that carries from start to finish. It's just pissed off from start to finish. And the track really doesn't have any changes in between that. It's just like fight fire with fire. It's just pissed off from beginning to end. Yes. And, maybe, uh, I don't know. Maybe they just didn't play it live because it is similar to some of the, like, you know, your whiplash or your battery or damage ink. Maybe they, I don't know. I don't know yeah. why they choose to not play it very much when I, and I will say it's probably my favorite. Well, it is, it is my favorite um metallica song from uh from the aggressive and fast uh, mm. perspective uh if yeah. i want to hear a, a metallica song a super fast and aggressive in your face pump me the fuck up song i'll put that one on and it always does it for me <laughs> yes okay so that's the album so let's rate this out of 10 what would like maybe what would you give it now and then what would you have gave it back then would it be the same rating you would have gave it then as now okay well this is the album that got me through my formative years of high school <laughs> um without it i 
probably wouldn't have made it through. Mm -hmm. um, and for that reason alone, it holds a lot of sentimental value to me. And it it is absolutely the most played album ever for me, like by mm -hmm. far. Mm -hmm. Nothing even comes close to it. I wish, like you're getting these statistics for how many songs how many times they played it i wish i had you know something that tracked how many time, times i listened to this album <laughs> in the past how many years has it been now 33 34 yeah, yeah whatever it's been yes because it would probably be in the thousands um <laughs> and i always played the album start to finish i never skipped um so young jason high school jason would have rated this album probably a you know an 80 out of 10 if you could just mm -hmm. i can't even say 10 out of 10 it would have to be more than that okay <laughs> sorry i thought you said eight i thought when you eight said out of 10, 80, no. I, was, I was hearing eight out of 10 i went oh i'm surprised oh no you said 80 out of 10 okay. 80 out of 10 <laughs> 100 out of 10 okay 200 out of 10 um but then what has it done to me over the years mm -hmm. um realistically I can see, I can hear its flaws. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to call them flaws because I don't really think they're necessarily flaws. I think they're, they're they, it is the album that the band wanted to put together and who am I to say that it's a flaw? Yes. Um, I would say I can hear where it, where it might have I can hear where they could have cut down things to be to have it be less uh, time consuming and make yes. it more impactful. So in that way, in that regard, being a little more, more nitpicky with it, not that I don't love all the songs the same as I loved them back then, but I would probably give it a nine out of 10 now because I think there was, I think if they had spent more time with it, with the songwriting process and tried to not shove every single riff they possibly could into every single song these songs could have been far stronger and it i you know i want to hear and justice for all in that manner today i would like to hear a, a condensed version with less fluff not yeah. fluff but less uh mm -hmm. you know less is more sometimes yes and my rating would be actually the same kind of because i was going to give it now i would give it a nine out of ten now you know looking back on it and probably back then i probably would have gave it well maybe not 80 out of 10 but you know <laughs> 10 out of 10. <laughs> okay 10 out of 10 there's no such thing as 80 out of 10 i'll bring it back down i mean i don't know maybe if i was maybe if i was writing like for a website back then since i'm coming off of love and ride the lightning and master of puppets i might have said oh this is a little less but still it's still good i mean yeah still yeah i still love it though now, but it's not um, it's not the metallica album you'll put on first no it isn't okay ride the lightning would be first like i said and then master and then this one next yeah <laughs> i think it, for me it metallica those those albums the, the ones you just mentioned mm -hmm. to me it 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 really dictates what my mood is at the time of which yeah. album i put on like i love all the albums I love Justice more because I connect with the songs more uh, personally. I yes. don't think that the, the, the songs are any better than the songs on Master or the songs on Ride. Um, I think they're just as good. 
but it's just that uh, that personal connection I have. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I don't even know where I was going with this, but uh, well, you got the sentimental thing too, right? Which I yeah, have yeah, with, yeah, yeah. I have with Iron Maid's Number of the Bees. It's the first album I really heard. I'm sure Peace yeah. of Mind, Power Slave is just as good as the Number of the Bees. But if yeah. somebody asks me what's my favorite album ever, it's the Number of the Bees because that's what changed my life. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah i think one thing about justice album that i love the most and which probably brings me back to it the most is i love i fucking love like i can't i can't even convey how much i love james hetfield's vocals on this album because (laughs) i think he is a vicious barking i i think he's i think he nailed the anger that his voice can exude like mm-hmm. like he's not on that album he's just he's not just a thrash vocalist anymore he actually to me he's a fucking monster like i think his vocals are just so vicious and so they just cut they just cut through in a way that they didn't even cut on master or ride the lightning like there's no melody from him on this album i mean mm-hmm. a little bit on one yeah. when he's but for the most part i think it it it's james's best throughout their whole catalog to me it's james's best best vocal performance i think he really found himself on that album and i think he really set a tone for his voice on that album that he was never able to reach again like even if even now when they play some songs off of justice like he just he just doesn't touch it he just he doesn't have the same yeah viciousness that he had yeah and of course the black album which came next there wasn't much viciousness in that no, at all no. really occasionally i'll hear you the uh, you know the barking from him that you heard on justice but yeah. it's so fleeting because i think yes. bob rock you know kind of turned him into a into a singer he didn't need to be yeah wasn't necessarily put on this earth to be you know <laughs> Yes. And I'll mention a few before, let's see, uh, just that this album, it made it to number six on the U.S. Billboard charts. It made it to number four in the U.K., only number 13 in Canada. I'm not sure why that was. Wow. (laughs) And it made it to number one in Finland. But of course, every heavy metal album makes it number one in Finland. Um, And but it's gone eight times platinum in the United States and three times platinum in Canada, and then it's been multi-platinum in a bunch of other countries. But I didn't write those down. Now, what about seeing them live? Uh, how many? Or well, I know we both saw this tour. Actually, this was both our first tour. Was this tour? But you mentioned to me that you've seen them. In, you saw it in Hamilton, Ontario. I saw it in Toronto, Ontario. Yeah, I have Great a lot opening of. Up. Yeah, and, a lot of the Queensrÿche opened up too at yep. uh, Hamilton. Yep. Now, how many other times have you seen them? Like, or well, speaking of that tour specifically, I that was the first time. Yeah, I saw Metallica. And it was probably, I think, it was my first big arena tour, mm-hmm. arena show. I might have. I can't. Yeah, it was my first big arena show. I saw Seventh Son at Maple Leaf Gardens in Toronto. I can't remember if it was before seeing justice. I think it was after, 
it's so long ago i can't remember but mm, what i yeah. do remember about the show is my dad took me mm-hmm. and my friend um daryl and daryl was my best friend through high school and he was he was my uh only other metal he's the only other metal guy in my high school <laughs> until we converted a few later on mm-hmm. um, but we were the first two but he was the spitting image of james hetfield just a younger a younger mm-hmm. version like he he purposely did that like he he grew the mutton chops and he had the same long blonde hair he has james hetfield's eyes he dressed like him he's tall like james he's lanky like james was back then and i remember when we went to uh uh to the concert we were walking around outside uh the venue just because there was a huge lineup and we didn't want to wait in line so we were just i don't know going over to get a hot dog or whatever and a group of like 10 people came running james james <laughs> and daryl he played it up man and he he didn't really say i'm james but he was like ah you know like he he really liked that uh that attention so i thought that was kind of funny and even in the in the venue he would as we're sitting down and walking to our seats, people would be like, is that James? Is that James? <laughs> <laughs> and to this day, I bug him about it. He's actually pulled out, recently pulled out a few pictures from that era and and like, yeah, man, you were the spitting image of a younger James. Um, but yeah, uh, wasn't a big Queensryche fan, so I didn't have much to say about them opening. I know I just really wanted Metallica to come on. And uh, <laughs> I will say that it was, unfucking believable the energy in that venue like soon as the intro to uh the good bad and the ugly mm-hmm. um that they always use for and then the, i don't know if you remember this but they had video screens up yeah. on either side of the screen where it showed the band walking while the good bad and the ugly was playing walking from wherever they were in the venue to the stage so there was this anticipation with the good and the bad and the ugly playing and then watching them make their way to the stage and just the place fucking erupted like even prior to them getting on the stage and once they got on the stage and the video feed ended and they were actually on the stage it was just bedlam like the place went fucking nuts yeah Um, (laughs) and i know you have do you have what song they played first on the uh, black blackened yes black and yeah and i think yeah now i do remember that and i think that was the perfect song to open up that uh the show i saw anyways that set with because it really with the, the i think they too. always started their tour with the first song i believe yeah back then, anyway. okay yeah that makes think, sense yeah but yeah, but black and, yeah, it was a perfect song to start it anyway. Holy but. fuck. Then that mid part in Black End where it, it just gets groovy. Mm-hmm. I just I just I I was up a little bit um in the stands, but not too high. And I had a nice side view, not too far from the stage, but I also had a really great view of the pit. And I just remember thinking this fucking pit during that breakdown, I just thought people were gonna die. I was like, <laughs> this is fucking crazy. And I, I, there hasn't been a show since, like I've seen Metallica multiple times since then, but I'm just talking about any metal show I've ever been to. I've never, ever felt that energy like I felt for that show from the crowd. Like just the energy between the band and the crowd, like I felt at that, that show. And I don't think it's a sentimental thing. I just think mm-hmm. not because it was my first, possibly my first arena show and that it was really intense. I just, I've never had that that same connection that visceral connection 
that energy ever again. And I, I long for it when I go to concerts. You always, whenever they played, you know, the ecstasy of gold there, uh, you know, at the start, I always got chills. Oh, that's what it is. The ecstasy of gold. Yeah. 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 I always got chills when I would hear that. <laughs> yeah. And then do you remember the video feed of them walking to the stage? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Show? yeah. It yeah. just added, it added even more because you, you know, here they fucking come. They're coming. They took their time wherever they're walking from somewhere deep in the recesses of the Maple Leaf Gardens or whatever the arena is called in Hamilton, but they sure as hell took their time. And, and I think that was purposeful because they wanted, they wanted the place to erupt. Yeah. You know? I don't know why I waited till this tour to see them. Probably just because I was going to ask you. Car, that. Yeah. I probably didn't have a, like, you know, cause I lived a couple of hours from Toronto or Hamilton. But that didn't yeah. stop you from going to see Maiden. Right. Well, yeah, I know, but I'm trying, I'm try I can't remember if this is my second concert. Cause I can't recall. <laughs> I'd have to go looking through my concert tickets yeah, that I have yeah. and try to figure it well, out. You saw, yeah, I don't know why I waited for a justice for all tour to see them when I had listened to them right from the start, but they, they had come around though. Right. Obviously on master. Yeah. 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 Okay. Like maybe they weren't headlighting yet. Maybe. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. That's, I don't, I don't think, know. I don't think Metallica headlined for master. I think, their big tour no. was with Ozzy. Yes, uh, yes. Yeah, that's probably. So, yeah, I don't know why I waited. It might have just been the fact that I didn't have a car and I was afraid of my dad and stuff like that. Yeah, well, we all have that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I had some pretty understanding parents who, um, you know, my dad early on, because he liked the bands, would accompany me. But then he was like, yep, yeah, you're cool now to go to all these shows in Toronto. So I think <laughs> I was pretty lucky. I think I was like, 16 or 17 when I was traveling from my little farm town two and a half hours away from Toronto, three hours by bus with friends mm -hmm. at a pretty young age to go see metal concerts and then missing the bus because there was no bus back and having to sleep at the bus station downtown and having my parents be like, yeah, we trust you and you'll make it back. <laughs> <laughs> there are some close calls, man. We had some really, uh, crazy happenings a lot of stories but yeah i think that i don't think parents would allow that anymore <laughs> no i don't think it's pretty i don't think it's as safe i mean it was scary back then but it's even more scary now yeah <laughs> yeah 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 i think anyway so yeah so i've yeah i've seen them about 10 times or something like that but 10 yes. times wow you got yeah i definitely like haven't that. yes um, well, i've seen a few of their concerts where you know they played with I saw them play with Guns N' Roses, just yep. it wasn't their tour. They just, it was Guns N' Roses tour. And they've played, I've seen them play with Aerosmith at the CNE with like Warrant and Skid Row and Aerosmith tour. Yep. I, I can't remember the year. I think it was actually the year after this tour because it was just, because uh, they, I know one was out, but there was so many, it was at CNE stadium there. So it was like 50,000 people there. <laughs> Where the BJ used to play, like oh yeah, it's CNE, like yeah, Ontario yeah. Place area or no, yeah. Ontario. No, well, no, it's where the BJ used to play there. Yeah, yeah, it was the Ball Diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was so many fights that day at that concert. <laughs> Usually, heavy metal people get along, but I think it was the problem that Aerosmith wasn't really heavy metal, and their fans didn't, didn't like the Metallica fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, 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 I have a similar story. I saw um, Clash of the Titans tour at CNE. And it was um, Megadeth, Slayer, Anthrax, and you know who opened it was Alice, Alice and Chains, wasn't it? Yeah, and okay. they 
they got so like my dad took me to that concert too i was a, a bit of an Alice in chains fan and i was enjoying their set but you couldn't even hear them because of the booze and because the boo and the chance of slayer 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 and i remember tom Araya came on stage a singer from slayer and he's like if you guys don't shut the fuck up and show these guys some respect we're not going to play tonight and the whole place just shut up and let Allison Chains play. And I thought that was really fucking cool of a uh, Slayer singer to do. So I had never forgot that. But yeah, different times back then. I, there was some yeah, some weirdness between the genres, right? The subgenres. Yes. I liked but, Allison Chains back then. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, did, I didn't ask, see that tour, though. Yeah, it was a great tour. I wanted to ask you, what was your, what was your favorite Metallica uh, show then? Or tour? Huh. <laughs> oh my god i don't know about that because that's a hard question to do hmm. so i'm trying to even remember like because i mean the first that i mean the first one was probably the best one just because it's the first time i got to see them and they were Plus like you, my favorite band so and you love that album right so yeah and like yeah. and like you mentioned queens i did listen to queens but i don't really recall anything about them that night because i think i was just like you i was there to see metallica yeah just, you yeah. know hurry up and get this over with <laughs> yeah. not that i didn't like them but it was it, like i didn't really care who the opening band was to be honest though they were an odd choice don't you think in hindsight like, yeah they're like well they're progressive metal i guess and just as far as a little progressive yeah <laughs> but yeah. yes it was an odd choice but i don't remember people booing them off the stage or no, anything anyway, no, I, I don't know no i don't think that so was many no, years I just, ago but i just think it was a maybe i'm wrong because i was pretty young but i, I think the crowd might have been a different crowd that you would get at a metallica show like i don't know if a queen's i don't know if if the roles were reversed um queen's fans would not have come out like if metallica they no wouldn't have cared about they wouldn't have cared about metallica as an opening band is what i'm trying to say yeah you know? yeah like the, the one with aerosmith is a pretty good concert just except for all the fights but of course yeah. i wasn't in any of them but i mean <laughs> that was a good one but 90 percent of the people there had metallica shirts on and i don't think the aerosmith fans liked that so that's why there was all these and they didn't like all the head banging they thought what are you doing <laughs> did you ever own a uh justice for all shirt me no. I, no. Mm, I probably would have bought one that uh, on that tour, but I don't that, that, I think I think that's when they really went crazy with the artwork with uh the artists they used because they had so many different um ver I actually ended up getting the uh damaged justice tattoo on hmm. my shoulder. Oh um, <laughs> when I was like I still you know, I still have it, which uh I think um was the main Kind of, it was the uh, it was the artwork they used for the when they used to do the tour books. You know how you can yeah. buy the tour book. Uh, that doesn't happen at shows anymore. But yeah, back in the day, us old people could buy really cool tour books that had pictures from the tour and interviews with the band and yeah. kind of like how you pick up a a magazine at the theater and yeah, you know, yeah. Except they were expensive. But yeah, that was the the tattoo I got was the uh, the artwork hmm. from that. Yeah, so yeah, I don't think I, I must not have bought a shirt. Maybe there was too many people or something because I can't recall having a justice or whatever shirt for some reason, even though I usually do buy one. So maybe there was just something about too many people or something. I yeah, yeah, I, mean, yeah, I can't yeah. really recall. Yeah. So anyway, 
yeah, so that's all about Injustice for All. But we are going to do our top 10 albums because I thought, like I mentioned earlier, we usually do on the podcast top 10 songs from the band. Mm-hmm. But since I might be doing another Metallica podcast with your wife, mm-hmm. Kim there on Ride the Lightning, I thought, well, I don't want to pick my top 10 twice. <laughs> so I yeah. thought, why not change it up and do a top 10 albums from the year that this album came out? So I love the idea and I had fun with it. So, yeah. So we're going to do our, I'll guess, I'll let you go first, I guess. Yeah. So we'll, we'll hear yours first. So give me your top 10 albums. So we're counting down from least favorite to favorite right yes well okay. yeah at least yeah <laughs> i guess least favorite is not the word because these are all favorites but yeah um here let me pull it up i've written down can't remember if the heart okay number 10 i don't know if you were familiar with this controversy you might have been um and it it it's a big controversy with some of my friends i have now who are of my age and they tease me about this one um and i get teased incessantly because i love this album uh is celtic frost cold lake okay or celtic frost now do you know the the story behind that one no i don't believe so i know i only know the name and i had one of their albums for some reason but i don't think i ever really listened to it I'm not really sure why i even caught it but anyway so no i don't know the story so the story is celtic frost was a swedish very aggressive proto i would say proto black and thrash band so they mm-hmm. they started in the early to mid 80s as hellhammer and then they turned into the change of name to celtic frost and they have many very highly regarded albums that are now considered proto black metal proto death metal even proto um extreme thrash um they have lots of classic songs but then in 1988 they just suddenly out of the blue released a glam album (laughs) so you you can think of it it, it's akin to now saying cannibal corpse their next album they teased their hair and released a glam album that's what this was like for fans of celtic frost in 88 so it was shit on incessantly but I will say I was a Celtic Frost fan. Um, no, I wasn't a Celtic Frost fan at all prior to hearing this album. Mm-hmm. But I was a thrash fan. And I was also a uh, a glam connoisseur at the time. It wasn't my mm-hmm. favorite subgenre, but I liked it. And what I really loved about this album is that it took both worlds and mashed them. So it has the extremity that you would have gotten from early Celtic Frost, um, the real aggressive proto-black metal, proto-extreme thrash, death metal. But it has this layer of um, of overt glam to it, or cock rock, or hard rock, mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call it. And to the point that, the, I'll tell you, these guys are all super ugly dudes, and they didn't look great with glam uh, makeup on and teased hair and tight jeans. And the album cover is actually really glammy looking, even though their previous album covers were really fucking dark and ominous. And the back cover is them looking pretty, but pretty ugly at the same time. Um, 
So it's a really interesting album to me and everyone hated it and the band hates it now. You can't even find it on Spotify because the band won't put it on Spotify. <laughs> they, they don't talk about the album. When they do talk about the album, they talk about it in a very negative light. And I think, I, I think I'm one of the few people in the world that truly love this album. It's in my top 10 for 88. I still listen to the album today. I listened to the album the day it came out. I bought it on vinyl. Um, and uh, And for anybody who doesn't, know this album or even for you uh, Blake I would go check out the song called uh, Cherry Orchards they made a video for it and it gives okay. you kind of an idea of what the song's about so I yeah gonna, I thought it's you were going to Dance Sleazy because I'm just looking at the song list here yeah there's Dance <laughs> Sleazy it's the but when you listen to it you'll hear the glam but you'll also hear something different that glam didn't do and that's the the extreme extremity coming through from what they were previously <laughs> now they're not like that anymore they of course they changed pace and got back into what they were previous to that and uh and they're kind of like pantera was prior to pantera pantera doesn't really talk about their glam metal past yeah yeah no. but the difference is celtic frost started as an extreme band and then <laughs> it was like hey glam is pretty cool right now we can do this and then so a uh, long winded story there. So number number nine is uh, Man of War Kings of Metal. Okay. I fucking love that album. Um, it's probably oh, the, probably really the only Man of War album I truly love. Um, and I don't know really what it is about that album. It's because I didn't know who Man of War was previously. And mm -hmm. I remember being at a Sam, the record man with my dad and we were vinyl shopping and my dad was like, just pick out whatever you want. It was like, probably like my birthday or something. And I saw that album cover and I was like, <laughs> this is so fucking metal. It's got the dude standing on a hill. There's like two hot, like, I don't know if they're Viking or barbarian chicks beside him. And he's got his ax and it's very Conan the barbarian. But the album has, it's fucking anthem after anthem after anthem after the anthem on that song and and they're just good songs like you know some anthems can be cheesy as shit mm -hmm. but, you know you've got wheels of fire which leads off the song which is a fucking killer song yet kings of like, metal yeah i like driving two wheels of fire yeah it's a great <laughs> great driving song and kings of metal the second song is just like a real like fist pumper like get your fucking yeah. horns in the yeah. air and and then you have the instrumentals, Sting of the Bumblebee, which is fucking insane. Like they were doing Ingve <laughs> type shit before Ingve was even. Well, maybe Ingve was doing shit then. I don't really know, but like, wow, it blew my mind what you could do with the, with the guitar at the time. And Hail and Kill and Blood of the Kings and the Warrior's Prayer and Kingdom Come. Like they were all these just these epic anthems that harken back to like through history and talked about, you know warriors being warriors and it really just tied in it made me really understand the the um historical significance that comes through in metal uh and how there's a lot of you know how there's a lot of tie back to like you know the i'm not gonna say the stone age but the roman times and how metal can pull those feelings and and uh pull that history and make it so metal and have it be really cool uh, that album did that for me so yeah that's my number nine okay uh my number eight is anthrax state of euphoria mm -hmm. um it it wasn't the first anthrax album i listened to i think among the living was the first 
maybe even Fistful of Metal. Um, but uh, it was probably the one I connected to the most. I know a lot of people, it's not their most favorite album. And I know it's not the band's most favorite album, but uh, it has a lot of songs on there that, you know, really were in the same vein as other thrash bands were doing at the time. Even what Metallica was doing, it was a really kind of dark and twisted and had a lot of, um, a lot of uh, lyrics that were, you know, talking about um, uh, weakened mental states and, you know, a lot of socially relevant stuff and, and it, it hasn't hold up, held up as well all mm-hmm. years later, but I do go back to it. And it's not my favorite Anthrax album, but I, I do have a soft spot for it. Yeah. Uh, so, yep, that's at number eight. Number seven, this is one that I didn't listen to at the time because I wasn't into death metal at the time. Um, but I put it in my top 10 because it is an album that was released in 88. And I love the album now. And it's really kind of... Um, I guess, uh, uh, influenced me into the kind of listener I am now, uh, as far as it relates to death metal, but it's death's leprosy and, uh, it's a fucking incredible album. Um, I remember that same shopping trip I had with my dad, uh, at Sam, the record man, where I bought the man of war. I remember seeing death's leprosy there. And I remember thinking, what the fuck kind of shit is this? Because it has a really, like, got some dude who's suffering from leprosy and like looks like he's in some African village on the front. It's a really depressing artwork. And I'm like, and then I looked at the back and I saw these really scary looking fucking dudes. And I'm like, I'm not picking this up, man. This is too much. Like I, I, <laughs> I I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm probably a little too naive for this right now, but it's funny that just a few short years later, that album really impacted my life. Um, it has a, <laughs> Some of the most classic songs by Death, uh, Pull the Plug, Open Casket. Um, if you're not a death metal fan, anyone out there, and you want to sink your toes into death metal, you know, early days death metal, I'm talking late 80s, uh, that would be the album to do it, Death Leprosy. And it's a classic album. The songs are all actually really good. Really good in a way that, like, songs on Master of Puppets are good. They're just good songs, you know? And it's not too heavy, even for people who don't like death metal. Yeah, it's technically death metal, but they were the creators of death metal. I wouldn't call it death metal in the same way, same vein that death metal is today. It's a Mm -hmm. metal album. It's a heavy, heavy metal album. And I think anybody um, who loves just heavy metal should check it out because it's a killer album. Uh, Number six. Uh, I got Overkill under the influence. Um, it was my first Overkill album, mm-hmm. and it's still my favorite album to this date from Overkill. Um, got you know obviously Hello from the Gutter, which was the first I think Overkill video I ever saw. It had that crazy bat flying around in the gutters. <laughs> you probably know that video. Yes, um, <laughs> and uh, it's just a really fun song, really cool song. I ended up getting that tattoo too. Not too long no. after I have, uh, I don't know what they call the bat from that's in their logo in that video, but I have him tattooed on my forearm. I think I got the tattoo when I was like 15. So my mom was <laughs> not too happy with me. Um, but yeah, just a really solid overkill album, a really solid East Coast thrash album. I think it, uh, I think it, if you 
listen to it today. It sounds like it could have been recorded today. The songs don't sound old to me. They sound relevant even this many years later. Um, my number five would be Slayer South of Heaven. Um, mm -hmm. It was my first Slayer album. Um, and it's still my oh. favorite Slayer album. Um, I know everybody's favorite Slayer album is uh, Rain and Blood. Um, but this album, I don't know. There's just something more to it. There's more musicality to it. There's more There's more um, ambiance. There's more uh, spookiness. Um, it really feels like you're listening to a song, an album that was written in hell. And I'm not talking about the production. I'm talking about the the actual riffs and the, the compositions. Like they really made an effort to make this song sound scary as fuck and foreboding. And you know, where where we were talking about justice is a really um, um I don't even remember depressive album, not depressive, but it was the word I was using to describe it. Um nice. Whatever the word I, if you go back, yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> this song is the opposite of that. It's, uh, it's just scary, scary as fuck. <laughs> the riffs are really ominous, and oh, it's a really cool album, especially the, uh, the title track, "South of Heaven." It's my favorite Slayer, uh, song, ever. Yeah. And uh, lots of great songs on that album. Uh, my number four is "Testament," the New Order. Uh, it was my first Testament. A lot of these are my firsts. It was my first Testament album. I remember buying this album. It was probably my first. I'm guessing, yeah. Okay, so here's a story. I bought this album before Justice came out. Mm. And I bought it on cassette and I took it home and I thought, what the fuck is this? This is way too heavy. What is this shit? And I put it away. I hated it. I didn't like it. I didn't, not that I hated it. I didn't understand it. I wasn't ready for it. Mm -hmm. And it was that first song, uh, Trial by Fire. Um, you probably know the song. Mm -hmm. uh, killer song, killer lead off track. And it was, I was just like, what the fuck is this? This is just crazy, man. This is too heavy. And I, I put it away. And then I think I didn't pull it out until after I got into Justice. I, then I was able to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And I think obviously Justice this is a heavier album in hindsight um uh but at the time i just wasn't ready for it but it's a super awesome album i think it's it's my favorite testament album i think they got a little just started getting a little too soft after that and getting uh, i don't know too 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 bubbly uh, <laughs> the album after it which i think is practice what you preach sounded a little too clean mm -hmm. um it's a good album had some good songs but it just sounded like it didn't sound like the new order the new order was raw and aggressive and still really to me it had a really european kind of thrash flavor to it um and then the next testament album practice what you preach sounded really overtly bay area mm -hmm. too polished but and yeah they had a ballad on that one and they had a ballad on that one yeah <laughs> Which I ended up loving that ballad. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, number three for me is Seven Son of a Seven Son, Iron Maiden. Okay. Um, it's my favorite Maiden album. I've got the 
the image tattooed on my arm. I think I showed it to you last week or a couple of weeks mm -hmm. ago. I got that many, many years ago. It doesn't look so good right now, but because I'm much, much older and it's fading. Uh, but I got that with my dad. So oh. um, yeah, my for my 16th birthday, it was my dad and I shared a love for that album. And he took me to see that tour. Um, I can't remember if, it, like I said earlier, I can't remember if we saw that before the Justice Tour. But on my 16th birthday, we went and got matching tattoos for that album. And um, I just fucking love that album from start to finish. Uh, my dad was a big Yes fan, huge Yes fan, also being a lover of metal. He mm -hmm. loved Yes. And I always remember him telling me, son, this is what heavy metal sounds like with some Yes influence. <laughs> and I never, I never really clued into that. I never I was like, what are you talking about, Dad? This sounds nothing like yes. <laughs> and then later on, I it finally clicked. And it was those uh the keys on Seventh Son of a Seventh Son. Um, not just on the title track, but peppered throughout. Mm -hmm. Um that really kind of gave it that a bit more of a progressive feel. So I think it's Iron Maiden's most progressive album. And I think that's why I liked it because I really loved Yes and I really loved Maiden because of my dad. And I started associating the two at some point and, uh, and then it became my number three album of the, of that year. Uh, my number two is Megadeth so far, so good. So what? Um, it's my favorite Megadeth to date. It's my mm -hmm. first Megadeth album I heard. Um, that's not true. My dad was a P. Sal's fan, and I would hear my dad in the peripheral play P. Sal's, but this was before I was into that stuff. Okay. That was in 86. Um, and I'd be I didn't really pay attention. I didn't know what my dad was really into. I'm like, what, what is my dad listening to? Um, yeah. But So Far So Good uh, came out, I think, a few months before Justice came out. So I had a head start on Megadeth before I even knew really who Metallica were and what Justice was. Um, and I fucking loved that album. Me and my friends, my metal friends at the time, memorized that album start to finish. Uh, it had the ballad on there uh, in my mm -hmm, darkest yeah. hour, which I still think is an incredible song. Like that's a song that can really, if you're an emotional person, it can put you in a state Yes. Um, or if you're vulnerable at the time, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. And it also has some really fucking ripping songs like Into the Lungs of Hell, the first song and uh, uh, the instrumental at the beginning. And I mean, I think it's got some of Mustaine's best guitar work on there. Um, he was under the influence at the time. <laughs> and I, you know, as much as he was under the influence, he wrote an incredible album. And uh, I don't think any album after that really lived up to it in, in my in my eyes. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is about it. You know, uh, it's just just something about that album. Um, and then my number one would be the reason we're here tonight, which is <laughs> justice. And like we talked about, for all the reasons, um, it's funny that even though Megadeth so far so good, so what had a few months on justice in my ears that justice usurped it completely not long after and uh yeah i think it what it what it does show is where the two bands were 
at pretty much the same time in their careers. Um, there's similar albums to a degree that they're super technical. They're super well played. Like I think both bands, Megadeth on so far and Metallica and Justice really learned how to play their instruments on these albums and it really shined through. And I think it's why I love both those albums from both those bands as being my favorite albums from both bands. And that's it. From oh, okay. Now my top 10, I have seven of mine. You are in your list. Wow. <laughs> so we're pretty similar. Now I didn't listen to any death metal at yet at this time. So we won't have death in my list. Right. A lot of this is thrash. I see. <laughs> Which was ruling the time, right? Yes. Yeah. So, and there was a, there was a couple of close calls. I don't have Anthrax on my list, but it was close to making it. Right. And Ozzy's No Rest of the Wicked was close to making it. Yeah. And Death Angels Frolic Through the Park, I think yeah. it was. Yeah. That almost made it. But so my number 10 is by Tankard, The Morning wow. After. See, that's a, that's a great album that I didn't get into years later. Years later. So. You were into think, it at the time, eh? Yeah, I like. I think uh, Chemical Invasion came out before this one. But this was their right. third album. I think Chemical Invasion was the second one, so I really love that one. And then, so I just got this one. You know what's what's odd to me is like, how did you get into Tanker? Because I don't think, like, for those of us that were listening to Thrash and I guess more Bay Area Thrash at the time, they were kind of off the radar, right? Tanker weren't really the the thrash band people knew about am i yeah right? i can't even i don't even think i'm going to answer your question i can't remember why i would have heard tankard i don't know if it was on one of those you know the brave words you talked about the cds it would come oh, with yeah. it yep. it could have been in there it could have been just reading something about i have no idea how i know tankard <laughs> right right but yeah so that's my number 10 they have actually they have 18 albums now holy shit Wow. But I haven't really listened to much of it. I mean, I might listen to them a little bit, but, you know, I just listened to Chemical Invasion and The Morning After are my favorites by them. Yeah, yeah, the ones you go back to, right? Yeah. Number nine, I got King Diamond's solo album, Them. Yeah. And that was his third studio album also. Like I not struggled most... with that one too. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it didn't make it. Only be on mine, only because I... I got into conspiracy first, which was, I think, a year later. Mm -hmm. um, and then them always felt I didn't I never connected with it the same way. But it is an awesome album and it makes sense that it's on your list. And I'm glad <laughs> it's on your list because it deserves it. It's probably the lot. Well, I guess Abigail probably came out after them, I think. But yeah, I didn't after like Abigail, I didn't really listen to much King Diamond solo stuff anymore. I got sick of grandma, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> Lot and ghosts and goblins and <laughs> and I prefer Merciful Fate. If anybody listens to a Merciful Fate uh, thing, I prefer Merciful Fate albums over the King Diamond albums. But still, yeah, it was a good album. I, yeah, I think because from I, I would agree, um, and I think the reason is because it was a little less campy. I think, like yeah. you said, Merciful Fate seemed more genuine. Yeah, Satan that... is more Satan is more powerful than Grandma. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Grandma might be evil and might be able to kick your ass, but Satan can kill you, man. Grandma can't kill you. <laughs> anyway, so my number eight 
is overkill under the influence. What did and, you like about that one? You now I'm trying to, you were saying about when you first, like that was your first time you heard overkill. And I think it yeah. was for me too, because I was just looking back at the taking over album, but I'm pretty sure that under the influence was the first one I heard. And I loved head first and yeah, Hello first. from the gutter. Those two, yeah. like, especially those two tracks just killed me. <laughs> Do you think it was the video? You saw the video first? I don't see. I I mean, I remember the bat flying around thing, but I don't remember the video as vivid as you do. So right. I'd have okay. to go back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, it's not something I can tell you. When did I hear Overkill? Like, it might possibly might have been that video. I'll have to go back and check it out. But I yeah, because they had several albums before that, or at least a handful of albums before that. Well, this is a third studio album. Yeah, third. Okay. So they had yeah. two. They had taking over and then i think the first one was an ep i believe the one with yeah. the, give it the finger or something yeah and then there's one where they're i, ha I have a t-shirt somewhere and, uh you know shame for me not remembering fire something fire the fuck uh feel feel the fire thing yeah 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 i think so yeah and they have 20 they just released an album this year and that was their 20th studio album wow unbelievable <laughs> a lot of these most of these groups are still around which is good yeah so wow. number seven is now this is not thrash well i guess it's kind of crossover thrash a little i guess but it's suicidal tendencies oh. with how will i laugh tomorrow and i can't even smile today that's a great album yep and as funny as it is this is a fourth album in a row or this is also the third studio album huh. <laughs> so i really like group's third studio album apparently now were you into them or was this your first exposure uh Oh man, I'd have to look back at suicidal tendencies. Uh, I think Possessed Escape was probably the first time I ever seen it. And that would have been a video. I do remember seeing that video. Yeah, and then there's the one on But I can't really recall if I went and bought anything or if it wasn't until I heard how the song How Will I Laugh Tomorrow or Trip. It might have been Trip of the Brain too. That right. song yep. Yep. leads this off. I can't. I would say this probably was the first album I really listened, bought, and listened to of suicidal are you, tendencies. Are you like me about suicidal? I love them, and they have some fucking crazy albums and great albums. Actually, Kim and I were listening to them in the car. Uh, Lights, Revolution. Can't remember the oh, album. Yeah, Fight. yeah. Great album. Um, yes, I love but, that album. Yeah, I love uh, the great. Art of Rebellion too. Yeah, yeah. It's much but, different than this yeah, old stuff. Absolutely, but. Did, did you always think of them as the odd duck of the thrash scene? Because I always did, but I still loved them. But I always thought, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't really consider them thrash. I read somebody at a post where it says what's the best thrash album, and it had suicide. I don't know if it was that album, but it had a suicidal tendencies album. I thought, well, that's a great album, but I don't really think it's thrash. What did you consider it, or did you ever consider anything other than? Well, suicide? they were. I know they were definitely punk influence at the start. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. They're kind of a hard band to label. They are. Yeah. <laughs> Except they were, you know, heavy in the punk, but I wouldn't call it punk music. But, you know, I read punk crossover thrash, but I just don't really consider them. I would never say they were thrash myself. I think, I think as after, I think when Lights, Camera, Revolution and Art of Rebellion, maybe, I'm not so familiar with that album, but Lights, Camera, Revolution, it, it's a really heavy album and you can really hear the the kind of the bay area thrash and that bay area sound yeah um, I, I think they were influenced by that even though they're not from the bay area but um that sound is there and i don't remember the album 
uh, what's the album again that you? The Art of Rebellion? No, the one you picked for your list. Oh, sorry. How will I laugh tomorrow when I came? Yeah. Is it, is it a more punk or more metal or is it just? It's more, it's, it was the third album and it's more metal than the first two. Like I probably went back and bought the first two, but this was definitely more metal than that. It had, of course, uh, was I think true? Yeah, Trulio was a bass player back then for Suicidal Tendencies, who's now in Metallica, of course. Yep. And uh, Rocky George is on guitar there, wearing his Pittsburgh Pirates. Hat. Yep. <laughs> I- iconic black and yellow hat. Yeah. It still has the punks, you know, surf and slam is just an instrumental, but it's it's very punkish, and there's still I, a lot of punkish stuff in it. But it's I had this funny suicidal phase. Sorry to interrupt. But I was just thinking about it before I forget it because it's kind of funny. Where I, it wasn't that long ago, maybe in the mid '90s, mid mm-hmm. to late '90s, where I, I was like, I really love fucking Mike Muir's uh, fashion sense. So I ended <laughs> up, ended up buying a bandana, like big blue one, like he had, and you know how he mm-hmm. had it half covering his eyes, and grew a goatee like that. And I'd have the, the the button up shirt, but I only do the top button up. So it would hang open with a white beater underneath. And I bought those long shorts he would wear. And I'd pull my white socks all the way up under my shorts. And I think I had the uh, Adidas sneakers. And I, 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 I thought I was like some like, uh, you know, East Side gangster in LA or something. But I just really loved Suicidal at the time. And I loved his, uh, I loved his look. So I emulated it and really got into the band. But yeah, I liked a lot of their albums, really. And then, and I also love uh, Infectious Grooves, <laughs> even yeah. though it's definitely not metal, but it's, I mean, it's got its moments. And Trulio is in that too, of course. Yeah, and you can I'm really sure. hear his bass in that more than you can nowadays. I think that's probably why they, Metallica picked him. I'm probably, probably, yes. Yeah. Cause I mean, he was great and suicidal, but he was really front and yeah. center in, uh, yes. In, um, yeah, infectious grooves. Okay, now we're okay. Number six, I have Slayer, Souls of Heaven, and I don't. Uh, now, Show No Mercy was the first Slayer album I had, and probably sentimental reasons. Even though I've listened to lots of other metal, but I like Show No Mercy is my favorite Slayer album. Mm-hmm. But this is a close. This would be my second. I mean, Rain and Blood is good, but I like Souls of Heaven better than Rain and Blood too myself. Now- do you like it for the same reason I like it? That it's really kind of something. The the, the tone of it is really yeah. And I f- I find Rain and Blood is just all one speed. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I kind of like the older stuff. And Hella Waits album is pretty good too. I find yeah. South of Heaven yeah. has way more nuances to it and yeah, music musicality. So and number five, I got Testament, the New Order. And I think I did hear the first album. I think I heard the first album first, though, I believe. So it wasn't my first leg of them. Number four, I got Megadeth, so far as I get to what. And of course, that was their third studio album. (laughs) And but I did like you're talking about your dad there. I do like Devil's Island or not Devil's Island, sorry. Peace sells better. Devil's Island is one of the songs, aren't of course. But yes, I like Peace Sells Better. But yes, I love So Far So Good. So what I especially liked, you didn't mention it, Liar. I like this vocal thing he did in that where he's yeah singing as fast as ever talking, whatever you want to call it, as fast as he can in there. (laughs) Yeah. And I like you're a liar, a fucking liar. Um, (laughs) and and it has hook and mouth, which is 
I think one of my favorite Megadeth songs. Yeah. Yes. When he spells out the alphabet and yeah, yeah, oh, man, it's so catchy. Like, I mean, a lot of people like Holy or not Holy Wars. Is that the name of the album? Rest in peace. Oh yeah, Rest in Peace. A lot of people say that's their best album, but man. yeah, I like I like uh, Peace Cells and so far so good. So what before that one? But I'm with you. Yeah, I, I I like Rest in Peace as well, but I think it's a bit overrated. I think it's uh, yeah. I don't know. It's uh, yeah. It's good, but doesn't hold a and so number three, I got Metallica and Justice for All. I put it as my number three, so that might disappoint you, but no, that's fair. If it was number ten, I might be disappointed, but if it wasn't in the top five, then yeah. Well, we'd... they're all close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh my number two is Man of War, Kings of Metal. No way. <laughs> yeah, because I, I love I that. I love one. that. I love a few of the Man of War. <laughs> I love that album, and I love. uh Oh, the one before which so that's called Kings of Metal. Yep. I'm just forgetting the names right now of their albums. <laughs> the one before that one I also love. Is it and, the one with all four of them standing and it's a painting and blue? Um, let me blue. find. Can I find this fast? Man of War, Man of War. Um, I've listened to Man of War since their first album, I believe. All Men Play on 10, whatever album that was on. <laughs> I can't even find it's not even on Spotify for some reason, the album I'm talking about, but Battle Hymns is their first album. And oh, yeah, this okay. Kings so of, the one one before yes, Kings King of Metal Battle Six, was, Fighting the World, which was in 87. Yeah. I love that one too. And then Triumph of Steel, which is after Kings of Metal in yeah. 1992. I love that one too. I'd love to do a podcast on one of the Manowar albums. <laughs> now, uh, let me ask you about your Manowar love, because I used to get, back in the day, around this time, I used to get flack from my friends for being like, oh, man, you're a pussy. You listen to these guys? Look at them. They wear loincloths and and sing about cheesy shit. Did you ever, did you ever, like, the well, music speaks for itself, but did you ever think it was campy? I didn't care, like, because I've I've listened to other people talking about albums like Man of War and saying like what you're just saying about oh it's cheesy and whatever campy, but I mean I didn't care. I thought it was great. Like all men play or not, yeah, the song all men play. I'm not sure what album that's on. Into Glory, right? Maybe doesn't matter. But the fighting the world, I know that album got a lot of flack for their song "Blow Your Speakers." Yeah, because yeah. they're talking about MTV and stuff. But still, yeah. I still love the song. <laughs> and think it's still powerful power loud as hell and stuff and and the songs uh, are just well written like they're just yeah like i don't know i don't i don't care what other people say about somebody anyway like if i like something i like it right like, yeah i, yeah, I, I think i just got teased and ribbed because none of my friends <laughs> understood I, don't, I didn't have a lot of metal friends i guess in school and probably man of war was more you know well, at the same time but yeah those know. those same friends though they would Sure, they would shit on me for listening to Manamore, but then they would bust out their winger tape in the car. She's eight to yeah. seventeen. Only seventeen. The fuck are you singing about? She's seventeen. Shouldn't even be singing about her. <laughs> and know. my number one wasn't even on your list, so we'll see oh, what you think of this group. But Halloween, Keeper of the Seven Keys, Part Two. Well, yeah. <laughs> I don't think you're a Halloween fan. No, that's not true. That's not true. I uh, I I like Halloween in the same way that I like Sabotage. And that's, <laughs> I like Sabotage. And that's, yeah, I like Sabotage more, 
than Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think they had, uh, to me, I'm going to go back to the campy thing. And like Halloween to me, yeah, there's some great tunes on that album. But I I could, I'm not a fan. Of, I'm not a fan of Halloween. I haven't been my whole life. I actually mm-hmm. hate the day that is Halloween and dressing up. I can thank my mom for that. Oh, okay. She, she uh she would make me elaborate costumes when I was a kid and parade me around town and try to win the costume prizes in these fucking super <laughs> boiling hot costumes. So I never had a really good relationship with Halloween and pumpkins and jack-o'-lanterns and so Halloween rubbed me the wrong way for that reason. And I know that's a ridiculous thing to associate, <laughs> but what can you do? I was just like I'm not into Halloween. I'm probably not going to be into these guys if they sing. Yeah, that. if you don't like pumpkins, you're not going to like Halloween. Do they sing about pumpkins all the time? Because well, they have a little. I, I think was it. I think it was on their debut album where they would play the pumpkin Halloween song thing, like Happy Happy Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. See that shit drives me crazy. <laughs> but yeah, I love Halloween. It's one of my favorite groups ever. And <laughs> here I am shitting on them like they're well, not. That's all right. It doesn't matter. You can shit on group. them. <laughs> i'm sure we'll have another podcast where i'll try to shit on one of yours <laughs> but yeah i like i mean for power i didn't really i mean i guess manor is kind of power metal but manor is heavier than halloween but halloween's like the only power metal band i really loved i think yeah and yeah. so they just i don't know even and now they have three singers i mean they're playing in toronto tomorrow night actually i wanted to go but i can't just because of work stuff oh, but yeah. but i know two of our other writers actually three of our other writers are going but stacia and johnny are going to the halloween yeah so i'm gonna oh, get her wow. to buy me a shirt for me so <laughs> they're, they're halloween fans eh? yeah i was surprised actually when they, she told me they were going yeah <laughs> yeah you know i, I i'm not gonna sh- I, there's one halloween album that i will put on and you're gonna laugh at me because i think i think i don't know a lot about halloween but i I know enough to think that this album is probably not the most liked album, but I like it. And maybe it's because of the time it came out, but Pink Bubbles Go Ape. Um, yeah, well, I don't have any problem. Do you like it? Yeah, I I, I, uh, I don't know if there's a Halloween album. I don't like some of it, at least. But am I right that it's maybe didn't get as much fan praise as no. something about it? That was when Kai Hansen left the group. Or I guess he was probably in this one. Oh no, he I don't know, I'm not sure. But I don't know. Like uh I don't know. Let me see. What are the songs I have to remember? Because they have so many albums. I don't really think I'd go back and listen to this album much. Uh Heavy Metal Hamsters, that was a good one. <laughs> yeah, there was there was But uh yeah, I don't really recall this album a lot, but I don't remember hating it or anything like that. Yeah, I think it just it was just a solid album at that time and you know and yeah i don't know really know what pink bubbles go ape actually means but yeah, i guess i didn't really think about it that hard the but cover art of the lady <laughs> shoving a fish down her throat or whatever it was <laughs> weird but i think even keeper of the seven keys the legacy which is like keeper of the seven keys three i guess from 2005 that's one of my favorite albums ever and it's 
I, I'm not going to look in to see who the singer. I think it's Andy Dearest as a singer on that. It could be wrong though, but and, anyway. and it's less cheesy. Like I think they moved away from. The, yeah, they they got well. The album before that was called Rabbit Don't Come Easy. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. might have been their last cheesy title kind of thing. I don't know. They've changed. They've had other ones like Time of the Oath, Better Than Raw, like the dark ride they got a little dark but then they had a rabbit don't come easy whatever what does that mean and keeping the seven keys would have been their like lord of the rings fantasy yeah 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 Yeah. anyway so that was interesting i thought yeah yeah that was fun i thought you might i didn't black mountain i know you're big into black mountain but there really wasn't much i know bathory had an album out in 88 well, but, to be honest, I wasn't, I just wasn't into it at the time. Yeah. Like, like I, I wasn't on my radar it was, it was before, uh, like I mentioned with the death that I put on there it was put on there um, only after, you know, like, yeah. like, I don't know what the rules were for this, but I thought, well, it was released in 88 and I love the album now. I, I yeah. It's, yeah. It's what you, it's what you like now. It's not what you like back in 1988 or yeah. I probably would have had seven son on here, but now. I never listened yeah, to that yeah. album. Yeah. There, I can shit on Seven Son of a Seven Son. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, okay. This is a long one. <laughs> yes, we better end this show. I'll just remind everybody to check us out on our website, www.thebattlepit.org, and on Instagram and Facebook at The Metal Pit. And did I mention YouTube? I don't know if I, I think I forgot that. We have a YouTube channel at The Metal Pit 666. And make sure you definitely check our website. I wrote a thing about 1983. You can read my top 10 albums of 1983, which probably has some of these groups in it. Yeah. Anyway, thanks, everybody listening. Thanks, uh, Jason, for joining me. Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Let's do this. Okay. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.